1: Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Teddy Cahill joining on today's Tuesday's Facebook Live. We're going to talk some college baseball today, talk about the draft. We'll take your questions, so I'm sure we'll end up talking a little prospects, a little spring training as well. But uh, we thank you for joining us today. We thank you, as you always do, for joining us. A lot of great questions usually every week on the Facebook Live. And we thank you for tuning in and do want to remind you that our podcast and Facebook Live are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and children. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. And right now, if you go to Baseballism.com near the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, you can get 20% off your order, get gear, like the hat Teddy's sporting, the, got the one, we got some new gear, so I'm wearing one of the new shirts that we just got in. So uh, we thank you to Baseballism for that. And we thank you again. We thank you for uh, for tuning in today. But we, uh, before we jump into college baseball, I wanna talk to, ask Teddy about some of the, the teams that have stood out, surprises, uh, Positive and maybe a little bit negative, you know, at the start of the season, but we have a we have a we have a player that kind of intersects because at this time of last year, Seth Romero was the uh, was still at this point the ace of the Houston staff. He was not for long. Um, then was suspended. Then was kicked. Then was reinstated. Then was kicked off the team, and then was a first round pick of the Nationals. And now the news came out yesterday that uh, I think first reported by Jeff Passan that that Romero is, uh, has been sent home by the Nationals for an undisclosed violation of team rules, nothing that suspends him by MLB purposes, but something that basically enough that the Nationals thought that they had to uh, get his attention. And I want to talk about that before we jump into everything else. Um, I want to get your opinion on also, because you obviously have covered Seth for several years, but the one thing I haven't seen out there kind of mentioned in this is, is that I'm, this is not a positive for Seth Romero. This is not a positive for the Nationals. But I would say that if you are talking about, if we are looking back 10 years from now on a successful Seth Romero big league career, this is not a surprising development. Last year, as we said, he was kicked off of his team for I, for a variety of things, but it all can be summed up as he was a bad teammate. I mean, I don't think there's any real debate about that one. Um, and the thing about it is, is he was kicked off the team and then he was a first round pick. So there, if your hope was, is that he was going to have the wake up call that basically showed him that he's going to have to make some changes as he's going to have the big league career that is the potential for him. He's very talented. That was not what was going to do it. Being a first round pick after being kicked off of your college team does not tell you, you better shape up or, or something's going to happen negatively. No, there was no real long-term consequence there. So if you're the Nationals, one of the things you do have to do here is, is you're, you have to at some point get this across that, Seth, if you're gonna have the career we want you to have, there are expectations, there's a level of professionalism we do expect. And this is part of that process. Again, it's not something where you go, hey, Seth Romero's, this is a good thing for Seth Romero or the Nationals. But, I would say that I do not see this as in any way surprising. And this is something that was probably at some point going to be necessary if Seth Romero is going to have the career that the Nationals hope that he's going to have.
2: Yeah, I mean, everyone's talked a lot about uh, how he was kicked off the team last year. Uh, But it's also important to remember that he was suspended as a sophomore as well to start the season. That that he, he was suspended his sophomore year. Uh, came back from that, pitched well, uh, and then was suspended multiple times last year. And, and yeah, so, I mean, clearly it hasn't taken yet. And, you know, who knows if it will take. Uh, If it does take this time, you know, the the Nationals still have this very good pitcher and and all the rest. But I I think there is something to this idea that, you know, now is a pretty low-impact time for this to happen. You know, it's got to be a message that he gets, but, you know, developmentally this doesn't hurt anything no, and at the outset of his first full pro season like is probably a pretty good time to be laying down the law and, and making sure you understand what you have to do to to be in this organization to to advance towards the big leagues because now is a pretty impressionable time in his career it's you know not like you know you're trying to do this after he's already been in your system for a couple of years and, and figured out what he can and can't do like you're, you're laying down the law now, and you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of this. And the Nats knew what they were getting into. This was, all, all of this was very
1: well that known. That's the reason Sef yes. lasted to where the Nats picked. I mean, so, I
2: mean, th- this was part of the risk, and you know, I, I'm sure that the organization has you know, had conversations about how they want to deal with this sort of thing, and uh, you know, now, now we're seeing it, and, and we'll see what he does from here. But I, I think that you know, now you, you kind of have to look at it as the ball is in his court.
1: Right, and I, I agree completely with you that this is something where you look at it and say, from a developmental standpoint, and we do not know how long, I mean, he could be invited back tomorrow, it could be a month from now, whatever, you know, maybe there's a series of steps that he has to show before he's, you know, allowed back, but if he's not back on a mound until May, developmentally, it's a very minor, very minor thing developmentally. Again, if someone he was probably going to have a limited number of innings he threw this year anyway, coming off of a year last year where he threw a limited number of innings, You know, both in co- college and then in the New York Penn League after he signed. So again, from a developmental standpoint, this may be the most important thing that, he, that could go on for Seth Romero in his 2018 season.
2: Well, I mean, frankly, this is probably his biggest developmental step to take anyway. You mm-hmm. know, he's pretty well along on the mound. There are things he can work on there, but it's definitely more of a mental... Thing at this point that, that needs to be worked on and um, you know this this could very well be the most important development of his season of his pro career is how he learns from this if he learns from how he, this.
1: And, and there is a certain extent of growing up I mean again we you he's can 21. go you can go too far the other way and basically make it seem like that these 20 21 year olds are, are 12 no I mean he's 20 21 but you know he's 21 but at the same time he's 21 and there are a whole lot of us who are, you know, who are more mature at 24, 25 than we were at 21. I, I, I'm one <laughs> of those. Um, so, you know, so that's something, you know, with Seth Romero. Uh, before we get, we got some questions already we'll get into, but I do want to ask you kind of start this off, which is, who are a couple of teams, you know, take at least a team in the top 25 and then a team outside of the top 25 that have impressed you so far? You know, looking at the, the college season, we're now, we're just a couple of weeks in here, but... We haven't we're long enough we're far enough in that you can start see some some patterns developing.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think that obviously there there's some teams off to really good starts. You know, you look at Kentucky, you look at Texas Tech, and those were teams that we had coming into the season in the in the top eight and you know they are they're doing absolutely what, what they should be doing and, and doing it very well. Um, I think I've been impressed uh, from Ole Miss, a lot. You know that that's a team that we had 16th coming into the year, and we figured was going to be really talented. Uh, it was a younger team last year. A lot of them, you know, are, are it's a, it's grown up, and, and we felt like they were really ready to, to take a step forward. And I think they're starting to do that. They they went out this weekend and won a series at Long Beach. Um, you know, they had been 8-0 before that uh, at home and. Uh, That that was a big step, I think, for them to to go out to a a really solid Long Beach team. The record doesn't reflect that yet for the dirtbags, but to go out west, to to go... Especially going out there. Yeah, they went out there. It's a a long trip from Mississippi. Uh, They had some extended delays. Uh, not an easy trip from Mississippi No, either. and, and but they had some extended delays just in flights, and then there was rain, and it, it was uh, it was not the, the most straightforward experience uh, for the Rebels in getting out there and, and playing. And uh, once they were able to get on the field, they, they handled it well. They won a, a pretty tough series, and uh, I, I think that's going to help them grow up. And, um, you know, Stanford as well, uh, you know, the, the David Esker era has really started very impressively.
1: Extremely... Um, Ha- having a healthy Tristan Beck has yes. helped that too. Yes,
2: absolutely. Tristan Beck and Chris Bubich at the front of that rotation have made it every bit as good of a rotation as we thought it would be. And I think they've surprised some people offensively. I, you know, I think they're having a really nice season uh, from an offensive perspective as well. It's going to be about pitching and defense for that team, as it always is at Stanford. But I, I think the, the offense has stepped up, and, and that's why they're now up to number four in the Baseball America top Twenty Five. Brought to you um, by Louisville Slugger. Brought, yes, powered by Louisville Slugger. Um, from just outside the top twenty-five, uh, you know I I think that there are some teams that are that are doing some good things. Um, you know that, that we're still looking to to maybe learn a little more about. But you know I thought Illinois this weekend. Um, they went up to the uh, Dairy Queen Classic, which was a Big Ten Pac-12 challenge. They went undefeated there. That's a team that... That was was loud. It it was. You know, they beat UCLA. They beat Arizona. uh, They beat Washington to finish off the weekend. And that's a program that's had a really strong tradition, but in the last two years hadn't made the Big Ten Tournament, had just been on the wrong side of the bubble there uh, or in a really tight race. And this year, uh, you know, they've won five straight now. And I think the Illini are showing that, you know, they also had a young team last year, kind of like Ole Miss. And... Um, you know, they're showing now that they're, they're a year older, and, and as Dan Hartlib, their coach, told me, you know, it's not just about being a year older. They have to be a year older and a year better, and I think, you know, we're still very early on, but I, I think they are showing that they've learned, they've grown in the past year, and, um, you know, the Big Ten looks a little bit different this year. There's some injuries at Nebraska. Michigan is very young this year, and uh, I think the top end is maybe a little open for, for a team like an Illinois to, to break through and, and challenge Indiana, which also looks outstanding this season, uh, at the top of the conference.
1: Okay, we're going to dive into some questions. Um, we'll start with Ron Lieb. Asked, What's your view on Oregon State for you, Teddy? Do they have the talent to win another title like their back-to-back teams a few years ago?
2: You know, I, they came into the year at number two. Uh, we certainly feel really good about their talent. The The pitching staff is incredible. Uh, up the middle, they're really strong with, with uh, Kaden Grenier at shortstop and Nick Madrigal at second, Steve Kwan in center field, and Adley Rushman at a catcher. Now Madrigal's out right now, wrist injury. He'll be out for a few weeks. I'll be very interested to see how he comes back from that um, when when that time comes. But in the meantime, they, they have plenty of talent on that team. Trevor Larnik has started the season really well, uh, hitting for a lot of power. A lot of power. And, and that's something he hadn't done before. It had always been there for, for him. He's just a big corner outfielder. And The power hadn't really come, but this year he's hitting for it, and and that's a huge development for Oregon State.
1: It's always fascinating to me because there always are some hitters. I feel like every year, who it's like the power. We always talk about the adage is the power is the last thing to come, but there's something. Sometimes it's sophomore season, sometimes it's junior season, where all of a sudden uh, a guy goes from being a solid hitter to being a power, you know, a solid hitter with power and. It does seem like he's a guy who's developing, and
2: Oregon State really needed that because KJ Harrison had kind of been their their big middle of the order presence, and you know now he's moved on to pro ball, and uh, so I think Larnick stepping up to, to take on that role is, has been critical for them. And uh, I mean they're definitely a national title contender. Uh, it, you know, it would help if uh, Nick Madrigal gets back to his t- total complete health, uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year kind of deal. Uh, but you know even if he's just a, a, a slight tick down from that as he comes back from injury. I, I think they still have enough talent to go out to Omaha and challenge
1: out there. A um, couple other questions. This one's right up your alley. Scott Murphy asked just about the Florida's, about the Gators draft prospects, which I'm going to limit you to, uh, let's say, you get to pick one pitcher, and then you can talk about all the position players you want, but only pick talk about one pitcher. Because we know, you know, it's Singer, it's Jackson Coar, it's, you know, you, but... But I really we've talked about them a lot. That's why I would say, like, I mean, because we, we do, you do have some interesting for a variety of reason position players here as well. Yeah, Jonathan so, India is a guy who's who's shown some some bump lately.
2: You know, real quick, the pitchers Sinner and Co are those two pitchers. Those are your top ten prospects. Mm-hmm. Those are you know they're doing. Yeah, it has been maybe not quite as easy uh, for Sinner uh, in the first few starts, but. The talent's still there. coar's doing fine. You know, those guys are where they are uh, in the in the top 300. Moving down from that, um, you know, Jonathan India has been very intriguing this season. He's hitting very well. He played third base basically exclusively his first two seasons at Florida, uh, with Dalton Guthrie playing shortstop. Now he'd expected to stay at third base, uh, but they'd worked him out a little bit at shortstop because Brady McConnell, very highly touted freshman, comes in and is expected to replace Guthrie, but he just hasn't been hitting so far. So India has slid over to shortstop, and if he can prove that he's a shortstop... Which that's what
1: he was coming in. That,
2: that's what he played at American Heritage, um, and there's a chance that, that he can stay there. Or for at least if stay wrong, if the I remember,
1: Played at shortstop, which meant, uh, who was the uh, second baseman for that team? There was, uh, was it Lucius Fox? One it or? was Lucius Fox. Yeah, basically move Lucius Fox over, you know, yeah. who's you know a what? legit prospect of his own. So. Absolutely.
2: And so, if he, but India is also hitting for power now this year. So, if he can just do, continue he's to do doing- one of those two things, well, d- doing the two of those things is really going to help him, but just one of the two of those things would help push him up the draft boards. Uh, and, and he's a player that everyone has known for a long time, very prominent, uh, a key part of Florida's offense the, the whole time he's been there. Um, and so, I'm, I'm very interested to see how he continues over the course of the season. He missed the last two games against Stony Brook dealing with a little bit of a hamstring uh, tweak he's considered day-to-day I'm sure he'll be back if not this weekend then by next weekend for sure
1: and again we I can't help but not ask you about it, but J.J. Schwartz has, has shown the power early on J.J. Right.
2: Schwartz is doing what you'd want him to be doing I mean he's saying for power he's catching uh you know Mike Rivera and he had kind of split the duties and Rivera had kind of taken over more of those duties last year because uh you know Mike Rivera is an outstanding really defender. good defender and um, but JJ is back behind the plate now, and um, you know he's catching tough arms. That that's the thing about these catchers at Florida, and there have been a whole string of them that have been very good. You look at you know Zanino and Taylor Gushu and um, Mike Rivera, and you know if JJ can be, you know if he can continue to handle these arms, he caught AJ Puck every day. Um, in, in he can if he can continue to to manage these guys and hit i mean it's a a very intriguing senior sign he's potentially the best senior in the country
1: right that's a you know a good a good point to make is is that yes he the expectations coming out of his freshman year catcher you know who showed power were sky high but that doesn't—that still doesn't mean that there's not something there still. Uh,
2: Absolutely, I mean the raw power exists, and that alone is going to be interesting. when you have above-average raw power, the, the, and you can play catcher, even if you're not—I mean, minimally, that's a backup catcher profile if you can can hit enough.
1: Two questions here. We've got uh, prospect ads, uh in the uh, in the feed. So Ron Cheevers asked any comments on Josiah Gray's outing last Saturday. Six complete game, 10Ks. I'll just take that to say the most notable thing there is complete game, which. That's the thing, Josiah Gray is converting from relief to starting. Complete game is uh, significant there. And Lenny Torres asks, Northeast players, do they get a raw deal starting so late? Lenny Torres Jr., his son, uh, still has to come out in the spring, but what do you think about him? It is absolutely, I would say, the thing I would say just about Northeast players in general in the draft is, is they have less that they can do during the spring to move up. On the, down, on the other side, there's less that they can do to move down they're a little bit more fixed, I would say. Like if you have a uh, if you have a high school prospect in Florida, the showcase circuit is important for everyone. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But a, a guy who you know, even like let's take Joe well, Quinn Holmes last yeah.
2: year. You know, he uh, you know uh, up in New York as well. Mm-hmm. It was not a good spring by all accounts, mm-hmm. and you know he still goes in the second round to the Indians. Yep. Uh, you know, as their as their top pick in the draft, and um, you know, yes, he slid, but you know he, he would still...
1: have slid more probably if he would have been if that yeah. had been a Florida or a California season, because for you know for one simple reason is is that you would have had longer, you would have had earlier in the season for teams to react to that. I mean, one of the things that is true, and teams do everything they can, I think, to make it as to to minimize this. But the reality of it is, is that there is something to be said that. March, April has more impact in some ways than May and June because the decision makers, the top decision makers, there's only so many places they can be. And if someone does something in late May, it doesn't mean that they don't have anyone there, but there is a certain timing aspect of, if you're having, if you make your big run and it's during a time when teams are having their meetings, it's, it's a little bit of a tree falls in a forest. I mean, it's something where, well, that's not going to be noticed as much. And, again, and, when and you pull... Very,
2: at the very high end, you know, if, if you're trying to bring in brass above a scouting director, it becomes a lot harder to do that once the season
1: starts. Right. And especially when you the talk... The big league season. Right. Ahead. When the big league season starts and all that, it is something where it is more difficult. And, again, like... There is a part of this where I do think it is still, I mean, if you want to call it inefficiency, but I look at a guy like Alex Fado last year and it's like, okay, his struggles were very poorly timed for him. He lasted longer in the draft. And I really do look at it and like in hindsight and go, but did that make a whole lot of sense? Because Alex Fado had this really long track record and you don't want to overreact to him having a bad outing in front of a lot of, you know, top brass but those kind of things happen. Again, I, I do think one of the things with this, though, on the flip side is, is yeah, if you're a cold-weather kid, you are going to have less looks, but at the same time, it also means that you're a little bit more locked in than uh, a kid from Florida, Georgia, it California. It is tough
2: to, to shoot up, though, because, you know, if you think about Logan Shore from a few years ago in Minnesota, he was, he had a ton of helium, but that helium didn't start until, what, like April, and guys were running in trying to figure it out, and um, I mean, in some respects, yes, I, it, it is tough for them. Um, and as a, a native Ohioan, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I feel for yeah. that. But, you know, it, it is what it is, and um, it, it, you just got to deal with it. And um, I, I think that, obviously, it worked out okay for Logan Shore. He, he went and started Florida and, and winds up going out pretty good in, three years later as a junior.
1: Um, Other questions, Gerard Kalicki asks, any players from the lower levels, D2, D3, Juco, making news? Um, I'm just going to say stay tuned on that. that. Is that your burner account? I'm I'm here. You can (laughs) see I'm not asking that question. But I do have a little of a a Juco notebook coming in the next uh, day or two. Spotlighting probably four, maybe more. I I tried to start with two and it ends up starting at four. (laughs) Four guys who have had notable starts and are worth kind of keeping an on. And really what I'm trying to do also, these are not the guys. I'm not telling you that the guys who we had at the top, you know, Josh Bro is really good. You know, that's, that hasn't changed. I'm trying to write about some guys who maybe were not as notable coming into the season. And uh, like a guy, there's a lefty out of uh, Kansas who's struck out 40 uh, batters in uh, 18 innings so far. That's, that's pretty good. So, That'll do it. So uh, so that is coming, Gerard. Thank you for the question. Um, also looking on here, John Urkla asks, with MLB's current trend of starting pitchers working less every year, had a story on that actually yesterday at BaseballAmerica.com about how there's fewer and fewer players, pitchers qualifying for ERA titles, so you can check that out. Is Detroit better off leaning towards a bat at 1-1, or is the available arm talent available near the top clearly better to pass on despite their system's arm depth? I'm going to start with that because I wrote the Tigers this year, then I want to hear your opinions though as well. Um, I would say if I was the Tigers, and again, I think you asked this question, phrased it very well, it's best available talent. You do not, you do not come into your draft room and say, this guy's clearly the best guy on our board, but he's a pitcher and we really need bats, so we're gonna go on a bat. That's not what you do. But if you are the Tigers and you get to your draft meetings and you say, much like last year, where last year, and I know different teams probably had different different rankings at the top, but if you looked at last year's draft and you said, we feel like that there's a group of five guys who all can make a case to be number one, I feel like that was true last year. Brendan McKay, Kyle Wright, Royce Lewis, Hunter Green, and uh, Mackenzie Gore. I feel like there was those five, and then there was probably a little bit of a drop off after that. If that's the case, well, one of the things that's going to come into there is, is, so what are your numbers? Because if we can get, if we feel like this guy's just as good, right. and we can get him for a million less, that's a million we can spend elsewhere. But I do think if you also boil it down, if there is a college bat that is at that you consider to be equivalent talent to the Shane McClanahan's, and the Brady Singers of the world. I do see the argument for the Tigers to go in that direction because, as you note, I mean, they have they have Alex Fado. They have Matt Manning. They have Franklin Perez. They have, they have arms. Bo Burroughs. That's their top four prospects in the system. But when you say who are the best bats in the Tigers' system, well, Kristen Stewart can hit. There was questions about him defensively. You know, you've got guys like Mike Gerber. Got, you got know, There's Jake Rogers and Daz Cameron are nice acquisitions. But there's less position player talent. And the other thing about it is, is the reality of it is, is that college bats at the top of the draft are some of the safest bets out there. So that's where I kick it to you, Teddy, which is the question we have, though, right now. The guy, the college bat who is most in that group, is not playing right now. And... It is hard to envision a five foot eight second baseman, even if we've had some really good versions of those play in the big leagues in recent years. That's not normally what the number one pick is.
2: No, and you know, so we're talking about Nick Madrigal there, and you know, he's a tough, tough profile. Um, Great for all, player for all the intangibles he brings, for the hit ability. Uh, there are concerns there, and you know, you have to be, you. Know, I imagine whoever drafts him is going to give him another shot at shortstop, but we have to remember that he played his way off shortstop at Oregon State last year. Um, and yes, they have Caden Grenier, but the thing about the big leagues is that everyone has outstanding shortstops. Um, you know, so you, you do have to wonder about that, and, and you know, maybe Madrigal can make it work. But um, you know, that that's an iffy profile. Travis Swaggerty is probably your next bat. Uh, you know, he's been making uh, some moves up the. The BA 300 at this point and um,
1: check that out. We got the if you haven't seen that yet, BaseballAmerica.com. We've updated it to the top 300 now uh, last week, and so that's not just we added a hundred names, but we also move guys around that's, based on the news of uh, of what's happened so far. And you know, he's a center
2: fielder, so you you do have the up the middle there. But college outfielders don't go high. That that's a that's a not but, that's not a very common thing to see college outfielder go high and that's what this year's best college hitters are with the exception of madrigal it's it's the outfielders it's grayson jenista it's griffin conine though i know it's been a little bit of a slow start for it's him right. um you know it's swaggerty it's uh, tristan pompey kentucky and you know i would consider if i was the tigers i would make sure i was considering one of these players at least but at the same time i also wonder about their ability to develop hitters they seem to be better at developing Pitchers, and they seem to be comfortable with drafting pitchers. And oh, they yeah. I mean, it is, so it's a
1: long running like. You do have you, to consider that bit if, of it as if well. If you I think said like. who are, if you said right now just based on track record, who are the Tigers most likely to draft? Brady Singer or Casey Moss. Or Casey Mize. There's, a, Casey there's Mize. a very yes. good argument
2: for either one of them.
1: Yes, but the Tigers are very comfortable with college pitchers. Casey and they are very comfortable with SEC pitchers.
2: Yes, if you are in the SEC and you throw hard, the Tigers are interested, generally. Yes. That, that, that is what the track record says, and um, with those arms at the top of the draft, I just can't imagine the Tigers being able to, to look at those power arms and say, no thank you. You know, Now maybe they load up on hitters later, but with those arms available, I mean, I it's just very difficult for me to see them going in a different direction.
1: Yeah, I, again, I, I kind of, uh, I, I, I see the argument for them to take a bat, and especially because at some point the reality of it is is that you are trying to match everything up. The Tigers are in year 1.5 of their rebuild. Their rebuild really started last year at the deadline. And so they still have a ways to go in this, but at the same time, at some point, again, the top of the draft, I do think there's value, but picking 1-1 one, one does, it's funny. There, I don't, it's not a curse. There is a lot of advantages to picking 1-1. There are some drawbacks to picking 1-1, though, that are almost maybe dumb psychological things. That You pick 1-3. If you're picking third, you know, we call it 1-1, so I'll say you're picking 1-3, picking first-round third pick, and you take Madrigal, who very possibly could end up being a really long-term, let's just say he's a second baseman, but, like, second baseman plays in the big leagues for... 10, 15 years, and you go, wow, that was a great career. You pick them third and there's no hesitation, but there's something about 1-1. The same way when we talk about the high school pitchers in the class, it's like, well, no high school right-hander's ever gone 1-1. Again, it's just, there's a certain, there's something that's almost a little bit funny to me, but that's, that may just be me. Um, but we do thank you, uh, you know, it's been about 30 minutes, so we try to keep this nice and tight, but uh, we do thank you for tuning in today's Baseball America Facebook Live and podcast. And this one was brought to you, as it usually is, by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com and get the best apparel in baseball. and Enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and you will get 20% off of your order. For Teddy, I'm JJ. We thank you for all the questions. We'll be back again next week with another Facebook Live. So long, everybody.